0: Hey, everyone, welcome back to my Blackadian universe. I talk a lot about racism in Canada and what it looks like and um, how it's more subtle uh, here in, you know, Canada and just how people try to hide it a bit more. It's a little bit more veiled. And one of the ways that uh, people do this is talking about areas that it's a good place to raise kids. And whenever someone says that, it's always racist. So let's talk about it. So in Canada, it's uh, you know, outside of the major cities, it's predominantly white people, you know, and talk about, uh, you know, the multiculturalness of our, uh, areas and our country. And it, it is, you know, we do have a lot of, um, uh, people living here, you know, a large, uh, cultural diversity in Canada. And that's great. Sometimes like uh, the population of people that live outside of, you know, um, their country of origin happens to be like the biggest in Canada. Wonderful. That's all very wonderful. Um, what happens though, um, it's sort of like <laughs> a weird uh high school phenomenon, I don't know what to call it, where people um, of a certain uh, ethnicity or race or, you know, tend to um, live together. So we have areas like Little Jamaica, you know, we have areas That, you know, like uh, Chinatown and, you know, we have these areas where people just um, sort of uh, culminate together and, you know, that in itself is driven by racism in the sense that, you know, people feel like they're gonna, they're more comfortable, they're not going to be subject to racist interactions and, you know, difficulties accessing services, if, you know, they don't speak the language or whatever the case may be, uh, you know, they have the comforts of home, um, comforts of their culture in and around where they live. So that sort of, you know, feeds it on itself. you know, you feel more comfortable. And, you know, you're not accepted by, uh, you know, the, majority of, you know, white people here in Canada. So you, you know, sort of segregate yourself into a community where you're accepted, where you can, you know, get your stuff. I think uh, for those of you who uh, know, I talked about, you know, everyone was talking about like, oh, it's such a great place. There's such diversity of food. And I remember just (laughs) um, one, uh, I heard an excellent, I was at a you know conference and I just heard an excellent speaker and he was talking about like a sour sop in the grocery store. He was like, oh, you know, everyone's like saying, oh, we're so diverse and like every I can get everything here and whatever. And he was like, where is my sour sop ice cream then? He's like, I haven't seen it. He's like, I've been in Canada for 40 years. Oh, where is it? I want to see it. I was dying. It was awesome. But <laughs> anyways, the point is, you know, like um, it, I, I, uh, I'm, uh, I was born in Canada. Um, my parents are from Barbados. Both my parents were from Barbados, and so, you know, I remember distinctly the first time I got Shirley biscuits. Uh, <laughs> for those of you don't know, it's just like this cookie from. Uh, Barbados and they I was like obsessed I am I say like I was like in the past like I was obsessed with them as a kid I am now and I remember the first time I was able to get them in Canada like I used to hoard them (laughs) when we would go back like every year as a kid and that was like you know I was like I'm just bringing an empty suitcase so I can get some Shirley biscuits but then I was like okay I got them here in Canada that was a get like that was a big deal for me when I was able to get that and that was just because you know like um I was able to go to, like, um, the local Caribbean store and get stuff that was specific to my culture, my family. It was amazing. And, you know, people need that. People love that. And um, it's something that if you are, you know, an ethnic cultural minority, you just don't get that every day when you're living uh, in Canada. You just, you don't, you have to it's a treat. It's not your everyday experience. So I get it. People, we sort of, you know, live that. And also I I talk about all the time being the only black woman in a space. It's exhausting. It's tiring to be like someone's only black friend. It's tiring to be like, you know, when everyone stares at you when it's Black History Month, you know, it's exhausting. It's tiring. And sometimes you don't want to be on. It's There's something uh, comforting about being um, um I don't want to say invisible, it's just something about being normal. Like I'm not on show. I'm not uh, a token, you know, in my community. I'm not. I'm just like a woman. I'm just Denise. I'm just myself. And that's just um it's a luxury. It's a luxury uh that um uh, people don't often get if you're a visible mi- minority, you just it, it, depending on, you know, your workspace in your life. I'm just saying that for me, it's a luxury. So I get that people want that in their home and their home community. Yeah, it's appealing. It's nice. So, um, which brings me to my point of this coded racist talk of saying that, Uh, Certain areas are a good place to raise your kids. And the people that say this are speaking about code. So if you are a white person looking to own a home, they're going to assume that you don't want to live in little Jamaica, you don't want to live in little China. But they don't want to say that because they know it's wrong. So what they have to tell you is that it is a good place to raise kids, which means that the neighborhood that you're looking at is predominantly white, like you. So it's something that I find exceptionally frustrating because, um, there are so many wonderful, dynamic, amazing neighborhoods in, uh, Canada. And I'm thinking particularly in my neighborhood and people are thinking that it's um, well, it's been described as like inner city. Like what the F does that mean? <laughs> it means that there's more than three black people in the neighborhood. That's what it means. And so people are like frightened, frightened to be in this neighborhood because you know, you'll see A multitude of black people. And that's not what what they mean when they say it's a good place to raise your kids. When people say that they're like, Oh, I can't afford to buy a home. What they mean is they can't afford to buy a home in a predominantly white neighborhood, because that's where the prices are the highest. That's where they've placed the most value on these homes. It's not by accident, um, the laws of segregating people um, and where people are have been settled have it has been ingrained and in, it's systemic in uh, where people are allowed to go, who's been allowed to buy homes, um, you know, who's been allowed to borrow money. These are all things that are systems of control to ensure white supremacy in um, in Canada. And so that kind of coded talk, it means that it's not for you. You don't, um, belong here. What you want is something that is, um, safe because apparently, you know, if you see three black people together, then it means that this neighborhood is filled with crime and i just find you know uh one of my white friends was struggling to buy a home you know uh in uh in and around like her target neighborhood which was like one of uh, dear the one of the most um affluent neighborhoods um in the community and it was just you know basically filled with a bunch of uh, upper middle, upper to upper middle classy uh, white people. And she was just like, Oh, you know, it's just like, it's so difficult. And just hearing her lament about it. And uh, I was like, Well, did you explore other areas? You know, there's like, other neighborhoods that you can look at, like, it just, you know, And the thing is, I wasn't suggesting that she live in, you know, a named neighborhood that was, you know, whatever. It's just not the one of the most expensive uh, neighborhoods. I was just like, oh, you know, like the adjacent neighborhood, um, like literally bordering it. That's the weirdest thing, too, about real estate here is like literally... Um, streets make a difference of like millions of dollars it's insane it's like it's stupid insane but it's like basically the same neighborhood you can like still be in the same catchment. i think they divide it obviously by schools because they want to make sure that only the richies get into the good schools <laughs> but i mean like all those millions of dollars you're saving like honestly all our public schools here are amazing but like you know use that money towards private school if it's that important to you. But, uh, and she just was like, Oh my God, I couldn't, like, I just, I heard that it's just not a great neighborhood to raise your kids. And I'm like, heard from who? Like, I was like, you know, like three people that own a home, okay? Like, who's telling you this? And I was like, the only thing is just like, when you look up the neighborhood, you look at the demographics and you look at the people in like neighborhoods and how many people like they have like the ethnic breaks down, breakdowns of neighborhoods here. And it was just like, oh, and I, of course, went and looked at it. And it was because there was a higher population of um, in, like, it was like, filipino people and like black people and i was just like oh i see like she just doesn't feel like she's comfortable there and then like you literally skip over to the other neighborhood and it's like it was like 90 something percent like no anglican white people and i was like yeah that's where you want to be because it's the better space for you like it's just it's um It's just something that I find very, very exhausting. It's exhausting to have people say that they feel uncomfortable around people that aren't white. And um, I understand that, you know, people, you know, just as I've explained that I want to be, you know, comfortable in my home, in my space, you know, even in my neighborhood, that's prod- like inner city. There, it's, it, I, I can't even describe to you how, when I see other Black people out in the community, we like acknowledge each other, because it's still like a minority here. It's, it's not zero, basically, is what it is. It's not zero. So then it feels um, for people, the white people, it feels like a lot because it isn't non-existent. And so um, I, I just feel like, you know, going outside of that comfort zone, could really help solve uh, so many people, just like my friends, like housing crisis issues. If you really, you know, look at a neighborhood and not just say like, is it predominantly white? But if you look around and you're like, oh, it is close to shops and it's walkable and it's, you know, close to the lake, I don't know, whatever, you know what I mean? If you actually looked at it for its, uh infrastructure, um, then you'd probably a lot be a lot better off than looking strictly at, um, the, the racial demographics. So many years ago now, there was this article and I won't name the magazine, but it was in a fairly big magazine. And it went uh, viral, if viral was a thing. Well, it was that long ago, but it just locally it got dragged for being um, basically an ethnocentric piece of garbage, where they interviewed a bunch of white people talking about how uh, they had to move out of the city to buy these. Big you know homes that they just you know couldn't afford anymore, they were driven out of the city because of the entitlement of you know what kind of lifestyle that they expected to have for being frankly middle class white people they thought like they deserved to have like the big estate homes um you know that was what was promised to them and um, You know, they did this for their families, you know, they moved out into these places. Oh, like this, uh, <laughs> notably, this person was like driving now with their windows rolled down on this country road to their beautiful home. They just love like driving, you know, hours out of the city every day after work and they, but they don't hate it. They love it. And they're just like, oh, you know, I, I feel so great that my kid will never see a brown face. Face, <laughs> it's worth the, like four hour commute, and I we just you know, I, you know my husband and I were like we like, couldn't even get through it. We were like ah, ah blah, blah. like we just were. <laughs> having like a physical reaction to this trash but it was and to their credit uh the magazine did publish all of the comments that they got you know after reading it in the next issue and people were like uh i live on that road and in the winter that country road is a death trap it's an icy unpaved piece of crap it is not fun you know when they were like i live there because i'm poor (laughs) and if I could live you know and they just like they were like if I could live somewhere else I would but I can't and so it was just it was fantastic that they published it but it was great and um, you know people were saying like you you could have made lifestyle changes you could have like you know um, done other things to um, you know you're still having to work in the city you could have done other things you could have lived in a smaller home you know there and like there are areas that are still affordable um if you were willing to, you know, not surround yourself by white people. And, you know, it was just, uh, it was wonderful that people had that, um, epiphany to that sort of like, you know, sort of, this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. These are just a bunch of privileged whiners that, you know, basically were like, I'm afraid of brown people. And so I can't, um, afford anymore to surround myself. I don't have the privilege of surrounding myself with whiteness, which I'm entitled to. And so, um, you know, like, they were like, diversity is okay for everybody, if you can't afford it. And I don't want, you know, to expose my family to this idea that, you know, um, uh, anything other than white dominance. And, You know, we're seeing it here where people uh, currently are trying to erase American history, you know, try to erase the enslavement of black people. You know, people are whining about, oh, white people have to feel bad about being white and all this nonsense. And, you know, when you surround yourself by people that um, are white and that don't want to have conversations about race as racism, then you can uh, raise ignorant children to, you know, uh, not understand the concept of white privilege until they're adults. And so you can't sugarcoat them, you can't protect them, just like, you know, as a black woman, you know, I have to teach my kids about racism at an early age. You know, when you're surrounded by other people, by other histories, by other cultures, you don't have the privilege. Let me say that again. You don't have the privilege of ignoring the very real reality of someone's life and experience. I grew up in a predominantly Jewish neighborhood and I've know and uh, love. I, you know, I consider family Holocaust survivors. I've heard those stories. I've cried tears with people and it it what they're it's you know they're not my people, but they're people and it's because I grew up around that, you know my uh one of my best friends growing up and just you know um her uh grandfather telling me about you know the tattoos that he the tattoo that he had, um and what it meant. And just, you know, um you know, as a teenager, and just growing up and just hearing these stories, and I'm not worse for it. I'm better for it. I'm better for it, because I was exposed to I I was exposed to the traditions, the meaning, the survival stories of human beings. And there isn't, there, there isn't, a competition for you know that's one of the wonderful things about being a human being, our capacity for understanding our capacity for love uh our capacity for compassion knows no bounds, and so I truly believe that you know the white children that hear the stories of enslavement aren't going to hate themselves. They're going to have the capacity to love and see the value in others. They will truly be able to see the humanity in other people other than white people. That is the gift of diversity. That is the gift of history, of learning and exposure. And I just, I feel that when we say, oh, it's like a great place to raise your kids, we shouldn't be... Afraid to tell our kids the truth because they're amazing, very capable people. And one of the things that I hate <laughs> with uh, the pandemic the last few years when people talk about resilience and anytime someone talks about resilience i guarantee you they are the least resilient person you have ever met in your life it just you know they're afraid of change and so one of the burdens that have been placed on children through this pandemic is their this idea that they have to be resilient to basically being thrown out (laughs) into the world in a pandemic Um, And just being forced to live life as normal, which it's not. Um, And so uh, I find when people say like, oh, um, there's this resilience, this resilience, and, you know, my black children are expected to be resilient in the face of, you know, racism, whereas white children are not. And I think we're doing them a disservice and i think that's one thing that white parents feel like you know they have to hold on to this this protection because you know that's all they've ever known that was how they grew up they don't want to talk about this they don't want to have the challenges of racism and these ha- harder conversations they don't want to do it and they feel like it's going to be good for their kids and you know um all they're doing is raising Forgive me ignorant little idiots <laughs> it's just it's it's a harsh thing to say, and i'm like I'm thinking of Buffy when Buffy the vampire say excellent show that I love, and she's just you know you know they're talking about like protecting. Uh, one of the characters from learning like having to fight with vampires and, you know, Buffy was like, I had to do what I was a teenager. Like, and all you're doing is, you know, turning into a little idiot that's going to get us killed. And, you know, I'm thinking it's a harsh way of putting it, but by protecting them from the right realities of the evils of white supremacy, all you're doing is making sure that they are, going to have to learn some very hard lessons later on in life and you're not equipping them with the tools that they need to be good people and that's what it comes down to you know it's it's not going to harm them it's going to you know teach them to be better I guarantee it. I guarantee it. They, you know, I hate the word resilient, but they are resilient. They're not gonna hate themselves. They're gonna love having this knowledge. They're gonna have not having this knowledge. And they're gonna love you as their parents from, you know, making sure that they're ahead of the game that they're going to be able to, you know, do better, do better than their ignorant peers, they're going to be able to relate to a wide variety of people. And they're going to be um, wise, they're going to be wiser, than their elders, it's not a disservice to teach them to, um, to know the truth. It's just not. And so if you are, you know, struggling for a place to raise your kids, you know, and you're white, it doesn't have to be in a predominantly white neighborhood. You know, I uh, don't live in a predominantly black neighborhood. I live in a diverse neighborhood. I love that my, my kids do not, are not the only black kids in their class thank god for that because i know what it was like growing up and it sucked (laughs) with a capital s and so you know it was like i i say like that uh uh, you know a little tongue in cheek but it was just it was not you know ideal, no one was ever mean. And I I talk about the Jewishness as well, because it wasn't a predominantly, you know, white Christian neighborhood. Jewish people understand a hate, you know, they understand discrimination, they understand hate. And, you know, when I talk about stories of, you know, hearing about Holocaust survivors and having those stories being told, and um, it was, you know, they understand like they get it you know as a black person as a black family you know um my parents felt comfortable around jewish people it was you know where when they first immigrated from barbados they happened to land in a predominantly jewish neighborhood and they felt comfortable there because they were supported they were accepted they were you know it it felt like a community to them and you know it's just, you know, that's just how, it was. so I have to say that because, you know, we don't want anyone to think that, but, you know, it's just, I, when, um, my husband and I were thinking of where we wanted to live and where we wanted to raise our family and raise our kids, we definitely knew that it wasn't going to be, um, in a predominantly white neighborhood. We knew that that wasn't for us. We knew that it wasn't, um, what we wanted for our family. And we wanted that diversity, we wanted that richness. And I feel like because as you know, black people, we understand the value of um, surrounding yourself with different stories and how rich um, it made our minds and how it opened up our experiences and lives and it's not anything to be afraid of. So we definitely wanted to um, pass that along. So I encourage everyone to do that, to do the same, do the same. Um, So thank you so much for listening. And I will talk to you next time. Let me know, um, reach out, let me know what you think, uh, where you grew up. And, uh, you know, if there's any other coded language that you hear thrown around when people are talking about surrounding themselves with white people. So yeah. Thank you so much for joining my, my Blacadian universe. And I will talk to you next time.